would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Today we will finish chapter 7. <laughs> if you would please follow with me as we read verses 5 through 16. Our focus this Lord's day will be verse 16. For even when we came to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were afflicted on every side, conflicts without and fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you. As he reported to us, your longing, your mourning, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. So that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindiction of yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. And everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender, nor for the sake of one offended. But that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. And besides our comfort, we rejoice much more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be truth. His affections abounds all the more towards you as he remembers the obedience of you all and how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. Father, help us to have ears to hear. Father, may your spirit strengthen us as we look at this amazing text. Father, I pray that those of us who are in troubled relationships even now see the power of an awesome God doing exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could think or imagine. Father, let us understand the seriousness of this day, the seriousness of this age. The battle rages. And Father, there will be conflict and afflictions. And fear. And yet, Father, even as you had taken Timothy in this struggling church and used it to comfort the the mighty Apostle Paul, Father, let us know that that same reality is alive and well and thriving today. Father, help us. Help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Help us to be overwhelmed by your word, the power of your spirit, as we walk this day, this age, for such a time as this, to your glory and to your praise. In Christ's name, amen. I uh, called this section 5 through 16, Comfort and Sorrow. The context of it is this. Uh, a pastor's broken heart that was caused by the church. 
church that he was intimately involved with. And they broke his heart. And um, it's very stressful. Very, very stressful. But I started this letter years ago because I wanted you to understand that you take 1 Corinthians and that deals with your personal holiness. You before God. Not before your spouse, not before your kids, not be- what you want to presume at church. But your personal holiness. And once you and God have dealt with that, then you are an abled minister. You are saved. You are a minister. You are a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You do not go to school to become a minister. You do not go to seminary to become a minister. You do not attend a certain number of classes to become a minister or a couple of systems or methods to become a minister. Once you are saved, you are his servant. That's what minister means. So you cannot be saved and not be a minister. All right. Second Corinthians deals with that. What is it to be a minister? And one of the things that I will share with you from my testimony and from the Apostle Paul's testimony is it is painful. You're dealing with people. What was you expecting? All right. In the middle of this. You will have conflicts as a minister. Okay, I I made a comment this morning in Sunday school that I can right now, I can make it so that you can never, ever, ever have another disagreement ever again. Never have an argument. Never. All you have to do is consider others more important than yourself. Now just go do that. It's exciting. <laughs> okay? It's the first time you start thinking, if I was on a desert island all by myself, it would be perfect. I would never have conflict. All right? But that's what it's about. Because you're dealing with people who every once in a while, you're not going to believe this, but everyone, I'm talking about the saints. Every once in a while, their flesh raises up and takes control. I know. Stunning, isn't it? But it does. And when it does, it's Katie bar the door. All right. These are things that I want you to think about. I am concluding this in comfort and sorrow because comfort and sorrow is this pastor's heart was crushed. This is a pastor who described his pastoral skill as we were as gentle among you as a nursing mother to his own child. That's a pretty serious picture. He says but we were steadfast. As a father to you. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. But when you are in that situation. It is easy for the people to hurt you. That's what the Corinthians had done. They had allowed their pride. In 1 Corinthians you see this. They had allowed their pride to overwhelm them. Where their church services were chaotic. To the point that Paul makes a statement that if an unbeliever comes in here, he will think you're crazy. They had perverted spiritual gifts. They were getting drunk at the Lord's table. And the rich people were eating all the best food at the the potlucks before the poor people could get off work and be there. And they were doing it in the name of the Lord. They were flaunting immorality in the name of freedom. And it was condoned. And you have, when you have those kinds of systems start moving in and those kinds of 
actions start happening, then false teachers can creep right in on the side and start telling you, you know, the guy who birthed this church, he's not real. He has issues. And what it was the tragedy was is that the people had started believing it. They could not attack his theology because it was divine. So they attacked the character. If I can attack the character of the messenger, then I can disqualify his message. Very simple, very easy. All right? This has been going on since the time of the birth of the church, and it goes on today. All right? With that, I need to show you how this all fits in through the first seven chapters of 1 Corinthians. All right? So hold on tight. Chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father, verse 3, of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions. Okay, so you can, this is this, the first three verses of this letter, you can see what he's going for. Why? There's afflictions. It literally means heart crushing. It's pouring down on me. It's wanting to crush me. We will be able to comfort those who with any affliction with the comfort with we ourselves receive comfort from God. Okay? Paul understood that the situations were going to happen. And the comfort was going to come from the great comforter. It wasn't going to come from friends and loved ones. He counted the Corinthian church as loved ones. Yet they were the cause of his heartache. Chapter 10 of this letter, he says, he goes through that whole litany of trials and tribulations, dangers in the country, dangers in the city, danger from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles. He goes through a shipwreck left in the deep, beaten with rods. And then his last phrase is the one that should stun us. And then my daily concern for the churches. He understood he was in a battle. He understood it. He understood that it was going to hurt. But if we were afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Verse 6. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. It is effective in the patience, enduring the same suffering we also suffered. Drop down verse 8. We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. We were burdened excessively. Beyond our strength, we despaired even for life. Listen, that's hardcore suffering right there. If you are at the point that you don't even care about life anymore, you're going through some stuff. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell you. When you step into the arena and you've dealt with your personal holiness, then you are an able minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to understand they crucified your king. Which means they're really going to like you. People don't get that. But Jesus loves them. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. But you do not compromise truth for the sake of unity. You are not tricking people into heaven. I see that today. Well, if I just get you to do this. Well, that's crazy. I am not downplaying the gospel. He died for evil, wicked sinners. Did anybody see the uh, speech yesterday um, at the NRA? 
the lady whose husband is the most decorated sniper ever who was killed down in Texas. Do you guys remember that guy's name? His widow spoke. You know how she started it out? How dare someone tell me there is not evil in the world? Woo! (laughs) Are you allowed to say that? That's how it started. Listen, brothers and sisters, there's evil in the world. And you're the primary target. Why? You stand in righteousness and you represent who? You are an ambassador for who? Jesus Christ. You speak for heaven. Do you really think they want to hear what you got to say? Not only do they not want to hear what you got to say, they want you to shut up. And it ain't changed. If anything, if I read this book right, it should increase. And as it gears up, my question is, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Verse 9, indeed, we have the sentence of death within ourselves. We do not even trust in ourselves. But in God who raises the dead, who delivered us over from a great peril of death, delivered us, he whom we have set our hope. Did you see see that? This church broke this man's heart, grieved this man terribly. And he said, but my hope is in Christ. My hope is in Christ. Just as you partially, verse 14, just as you also partially did understand us and that we are your reason to be proud as you are also ours in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was still thankful of what he had saw happen in that city of those people's hearts. Even though they broke his. He had gone back with a pop-up visit. And the false apostles in the church brought accusations against the apostle Paul while he sat there in the congregation. But that didn't break his heart. What broke his heart is, is that the church didn't defend him. That broke his heart. It'd be similar to the gospel of Luke when Jesus was being brought out of Caiaphas' house, taken back over to Annas' house and the cock crowed the third time. Jesus denied Christ and he looked across and Peter looked across the, and he made eye contact as he had denied him. Think about that. There ain't a person in this room who hasn't denied Christ more than once. But you never had to make eye contact with him, did you? Chapter 2, we see this sorrow. But I determined for my own sake that I would not come to you in sorrow again. He was going to do another trip. He broke his heart that no one would defend him on that surprise trip. He's thinking about taking the severe letter back by himself, but he didn't. He sent Titus to do it. He says, I determined for my own sake. He says, I can't endure this. For if I caused you sorrow, who then makes me glad? But the one whom I made sorrowful. This very thing I wrote you. Out of much affliction, anguish of heart, I wrote you with many tears. Not so that you would be made sorrowful. 
that you might know the love which I have especially for you. Have you ever wept for somebody when you prayed? Don't go around brag about it. Here, I'm going to take a picture. Look, I was crying when I was praying for this guy. You don't do it. It's just between you and God. But there's times you pray for somebody and you are heartbroken. Why don't they get it? The relationship is marred. Drop down. Verse 13, I had no rest in my spirit, not finding Titus when he had had run out of Ephesus in a riot. (laughs) And was headed back north to see if he could run into Titus to find out how the Corinthians had responded to the severe letter. He says, I found no rest in my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother, but taking leave of them. I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Same aroma. One is an aroma of condemnation. One is aroma of exaltation. Same aroma. And you live in a world where where you walk, you give off the aroma of Christ. And you know what? There will be people offended. Get ready. And you know what? Some of them may even be brothers and sisters in Christ. Chapter 3. Verse 2, you are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by men. What happened between you and I in Corinth, brothers and sisters, is read by other men. And he stood in awe of it. He was overwhelmed by it. Being manifest that you are the letter of Christ, cared for by us, Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. I had watched your change. I had seen you change. Verse 7. But if the ministry of death and letters written on stones. Now, what he wants to do now is let me contrast the old covenant to the new covenant. So when he says the ministry of death and letters written on stones, that's speaking of the Ten Commandments, the law that Moses brought down with glory. So the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because the glory of his face was fading as it was. The people couldn't look at it. Moses was reflecting the kind of glory and it freaked them out. But it wasn't permanent. It faded. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? We should stand in all, brothers and sisters. We are united in the person of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit and the authority of the Word. And once you bow to that, nothing breaks the unity. Nothing breaks the unity. Considering others more important than your self. There is no greater love than one lay his life down. Right? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. 
For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. He says, you had this type, this shadow thing in the Old Testament. And now you have this real thing now. This shadow thing, this type was to tell you what the real looks like. That's why people, I get people say, well, do you ever teach anything out of the Old Testament? Nope. I use it as references, cross-references. But I am a new covenant preacher. I am not an old covenant preacher. Why? I don't want the shadows. I want the real. I want the real. There's nothing wrong with the Old Testament. You bring it to bear. Why? It exposes us for what we are. That's, I shared this with you last week. When people are having marital problems, when can a Christian get a divorce? Read Hosea. That's Old Testament. Why? Because that reveals what we are. People say, well, Terry, the reason you're so on fire was you were such a strong sinner. I said, oh, there's between you and me. Everything you thought about, I did. You just weren't brave enough. You were afraid you'd get arrested. I didn't care. There is no difference. Old Testament, New Testament, sin is sin. He goes on. Therefore, having such a hope... We use great boldness in our speech. And are not like Moses. He used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened. Speaking of Israel. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. But we all, now you got this? We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Can you understand who that is? The nation of Israel could only look at Moses. And see a reflection. The only one who had access to God, the person, was who? Moses. He says, now the new covenant. Guess what? We all behold the glory. That ought to make you want to jump up and yell amen. I don't have to wait for Moses to come down off the hillside. I can look in the mirror and see what the glory of God is doing. Chapter 4. We renounce the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness, adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I stand before you. That's what Paul says. I commend myself to your conscience. What does your conscience say? Why? Because I stand before God. I remember one time I had to speak before Stephen Olford, and he was going to critique my sermon. Just a pleasant, pleasant idea. 
And so there was eight of us. We were there for a week and uh, we'd all sent sermons in and um, we had videotaped some sermons and you had to send some uh, on audio. And, and then I met with David and some of the others and they told me these are great. This is bad. This is whatever. And then you had to give a sermon in front of everybody. Wow. You know, so they said, well, who wants to go first? <clears throat> My hand. I want to go first. Why do you want to go first? You think I want to sweat out a week of this? I want this thing over with. <laughs> so the day that I was supposed to go, I walk in and the one secretary just thought I was the bee's knees. And she says, so Terry, are you ready? And I said, yeah. She says, what sermon are you giving? I said, this one that I just finished. She says, you've never given this sermon before? And I said, no. And he said, really? She says, most of the guys find their best sermons and they give that one. I was like, well, I haven't found my best sermon yet, um, so I'm still working on it. I'll try another one. And uh, so he, she says, well, are you nervous? And I said, well, yeah. <laughs> I was like, my throat's so dry, I couldn't spit to put my hands out if they were on fire. And I said, she says, well, you understand, Terry, that every Sunday you're speaking for Jesus. And I was like, yeah. Do you understand? I don't see him sitting there taking notes. <laughs> What's a big difference? But there is a boldness there because it's glory to glory. We are being transformed in the same image. We speak with boldness. And that's what the Apostle Paul, chapter 4, says, Therefore, we have this ministry. Do you understand that that's what you are here for? You have this ministry. Why? You contrast the law of condemnation, which is the Old Testament. It says you're a sinner. Your best day. You're still a sinner. So come to grace in Jesus Christ. That's it. There's millions of innumerable ways to come to Christ. One to God. The person of Jesus. We can all come to Christ in different ways. But it's only through Christ you get to God. We do not lose heart. Why? Because we have this ministry. We have renounced the things that are hidden, not walking in that craftiness. That's how it works, brothers and sisters. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as bondservants, slaves for Jesus' sake. And I watch people take that verse right there and try to tell me, well, that deals with preachers. It ain't got nothing to do with preachers. It's got to do with saints. And it is easy to see who is your master. Did you know that? We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God, not of ourselves. Why? You got nothing. You don't bring anything to this relationship. You bow yourself to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and watch him do amazingly abundantly beyond what you could ever think or imagine through the power of God working through you. That's the precious treasure that is inside. So he can say in verse 17, the momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. That's bizarre to me. This church broke your heart and it's momentary light affliction. Really? Why? Because he's looking at it on the eternal side. He's not looking at it on the fact that he's being attacked. Chapter 5. 
We walk by faith, not by sight. Too many are serving the body of Christ today and they're doing it by sight. Which tells me you have a very weak faith. We are of good courage. I say, prefer rather, after from the body to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we have our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. So Paul, you are already see him start making a transition. Okay? All these things, verse 18, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He's trying to get the Corinthians to understand. Do you understand what you're here for? You and I each have a ministry of reconciliation, reconciling people to God, their creator. That is your job and my job. It isn't the evangelist's job. It isn't the preacher's job, the deacon's job, the elder's job. That's not their job. We all do that. We all have a ministry. When you think about ministry, it's got to be that. We got ministries for everything. I see the guy's got a skateboard ministry. What is that? I remember a guy told me, he says, well, I share the gospels through ballet. Oh, heaven forbid. I would have never gotten saved through ballet. We speak with boldness. Chapter 6. We have suffering. And everything commending ourselves as servants of God with much endurance and affliction and hardship and distresses and beatings and imprisonments and tumults and labors and sleeplessness and hunger and purity and knowledge and patience and kindness and the Holy Spirit and genuine love and the word of truth, the power of God by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left by the glory and dishonor by evil report and good report regarded as deceivers yet true, unknown yet well known, yet As dying, yet behold, we live. As punished, yet not put to death. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing all things. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is opened wide. In spite of all of that. Chapter 7, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh, spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. Let us get back to the reverences due God. Which brings us to where we are. Verse 5. Even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were afflicted on every, on every side, conflicts without and fears within. Why? Hadn't seen Ma- how, how was Titus received? I don't know what happened with Titus. We got run out of Ephesus in a riot. Went to Troas, a door for the gospel was open for the Apostle Paul, but he was so distraught over what was going on, he didn't stay. He went on to Macedonia. The Apostle Paul, greatest evangelist the world ever seen. A door was open. He says, I don't have the heart for this. I have to find out what happened to Titus. 
So what you need to understand that Paul had a shattered relationship with these people. And he sent them a severe letter. A severe letter is just what it sounds like. He confronted their actions. He confronted their actions. Verse 7. But God who comforts the depressed, verse 6, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Isn't it amazing that you can have the arrival of a Christian bring you comfort and joy? That's amazing to me. Okay? Because some Christians are like porcupines. Right? Cute as a button. Don't touch it. Right? I mean, oh, look how sweet that thing is. I hope it goes the other way. Right? Have you seen them? You know, the grouchy Christians, their heads are all wrinkled up. I'm here to share the gospel with you. You know the ones I'm talking about. I'm going to tell you now, Jesus is going to send you to hell if you don't believe. Far out. Wonderful people. You don't have eternal life, right? What could you ever complain about? What could ever make you upset? What could make you anxious? If you only know you have to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. That's all. But you see them out there. Wonderful little things, aren't they? I know, you've, you've all run into them. You know which ones I'm talking about. You just sit there and go, oh, mercy. And you're supposed to be a representative of who? Saints' joy came by the response of the Corinthian church in the presence of Titus. Because they had changed, verses 8 through 10. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. You ever done that? Well, it's easy to do nowadays. You got email and texting. And the great travail of the sin button. Oops. <laughs> I shouldn't have touched that. I should have thought harder about it. Okay? <laughs> You're just like, oh boy, I wonder how do you intercept that? Can I get returns postage? friend of mine one time told me, he says that everything goes through your head does not necessarily have to fall out of your mouth. Okay, and there are times that you get those texts and you think, I'm going to fix this and oops. <laughs> Never mind. I do not believe that was a divinely inspired letter. <laughs> that would be classified as my severe letter. All right. You guys know what I'm talking about. They had changed. I rejoice that you were made sorrowful. And that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. See, when you confront an action or a teaching, you do it because you want to bring sorrow to repentance. Repentance means I've changed directions. Okay? He had wrote a letter on the way they had responded to the Apostle Paul in his surprise visit. And he had wrote them a severe letter chastening them. He confronted the sin. And it was obviously God-led because repentance came. They changed direction. They realized that they had broken this relationship, had caused the apostles sorrow. So they changed directions to why? 
to restore the relationship with the Apostle Paul. Jesus himself says, if they receive that that I send, they receive who sent me. If they reject Christ's messenger, they reject Christ, they reject who sent Christ. I had a friend of mine as a pastor, and I was going through some issues, it's been a few years ago. And he says, well, now Terry, you just got to understand something. And he had been through some, I, I kept thinking he was the pastor of the Philistines. Um, I was going through this and I called him up to get some counsel. And he says, now you, you need to understand something. He says, you just lay this before the throne. I said, yes, 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 I know that. And he says, and you can't take it personally. I said, well, you know, the attacks are very personal. He says, but you can't take it personally. They're, they're coming after Christ. They're rejecting you. So they're rejecting Christ. They're rejecting God. The issue is more than them hurting you. Um, and, and I said, well, when you went through it, did you take it personally? He said, well, sure. <laughs> I said, so why are you telling me not to take it personally? But they changed. The sorrow is according to the will of God. It produces repentance without regret. That's key to this. I watch people who get confronted and they try to defend their situation. Okay, that's not repentance. That's got that's, that's what I call busted. I got caught with my hand in a cookie jar. Okay, because real repentance says you what you just told me is absolutely true. I beg forgiveness. I don't try to defend it. Many, if you get into a confrontational zone, most people are going to try to defend themselves. But if God has gone before you, then you're bringing the light of truth to bear on them. And God is saying, are you listening? Because the sorrow of the world does what? Produces death. Produces death. Or starts the second Baptist church. (laughs) That's normally what they do. I'm mad at you. I'll go start my own church. You don't know how to do church. See ya. That's the change. Why? It brings holiness. Verse 11. Behold, what earnestness. Okay, now, what I want you to watch in this, because people ask me, well, how do you know it's true repentance? Well, first of all, there is going to be an earnestness in the person. Okay, now watch what they do. This very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you, this earnestness. Behold, it's amazing. Earnestness, what? You want to vindicate yourself. What I did was wrong. Let me make it right. Okay, that's not a person who shifts into defense. That's a person that says, oh my. I don't want to be known for this wrongdoing. I want to be known for making it right. And they'll have indignation. Indignation. um, Have you ever done something where you felt like you were deceived and got ripped off for it? Most of us think of cars. I bought a car and it wasn't. Okay. (laughs) You know what I mean. All right. There are times when you have something that happens in your life where you were deceived. You thought you were getting this and you didn't get this. Right. Everybody's had that. And the first thing you think of is, how dare you deceive me? 
Well, if you have stepped into prideful sin or any sin and are following it along, then the first thing you have to realize is you've been deceived. And you will have an indignation on the fact that you were deceived. Most of us sitting in this room today like to think we have discernment. Most of us don't. I'll deal with that in the weeks to come out of chapter 8 and 9. You'll see. We don't have it. We like to think we do. Well, I'm very shrewd. I'm not naive. Really? What do you do with advertisement? Advertisement has one purpose. To relieve you of your money. That is all it's for. And let me tell you something. It's good. We all succumb to it. Think about it. How much on an average day, how much advertisement are you exposed to? So do you think it's unsuccessful? And you can't be deceived? Really? One of the largest industries that's ever been produced is what? Advertising. You know what television is for? Advertising. They put these stupid shows on there so you're hooked so you will what? See the advertising. They don't put advertisements on there so you'll watch a show. But yet we all think, well, I'm not deceived. Really? Really? Think so, huh? Said the goose before it was cooked. I'm not deceived. Yet there should be indignation when I am confronted about my sin. Not at the person confronting me, but at the the fact that I was deceived. They deceived me. Now listen, this is what I'm talking about. True repentance looks like there should be fear. Why? Uh Oh, if I've sinned, who did you sin against? A holy God. That should just sort of in a little bit mm, panic you. At least cause your palms to sweat. Why? Oh, gee. Woo. How did I know? Fear against God. But this, there should be a longing. A longing that the relationship is restored and even made better. This is what true repentance looks like. I want to make this better. I have a longing to do this. And a zeal. It becomes a passion. It becomes something, you know what? You're not going to stop me. And then you want the avenging of wrong. Regardless of whatever the consequences are, I am deserving of it and it needs to be avenged. It needs to be stated. You know, I've seen in the past where people have done wrong things to the church and they stood up in front of the church and says, I beg your forgiveness. I beg your forgiveness. Now, let me tell you something. That's real repentance. There ain't a whole lot of us is going to do that. Well, you know, sorry, guys. But I've seen it. They were confronted in a sinful situation. They came up and said, before the holy body of Christ, I have sinned. Forgive me. That's repentance. They're not taking defense. That's holiness. Verse 12, growth. 
Though I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender or the sake of the offended. Okay, now stop right there because this is funny. He says, I confronted the church in Corinth the way they responded to me and what had happened. And you guys didn't do anything about it. And I brought a letter to bear on you on that. He says, but I did it that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to to you. Let me remind you of the fellowship that we had. Let me remind you of the relationship we had and the earnestness that existed in that. One of the things as a pastor that is kind of troubling to me is the lack of earnestness in the body of Christ. Okay? That zeal of the oneness of the body is tough to find. Okay, now there's a bunch of people out there manufacturing, you know, we're going to have a potluck or we're going to do a church softball league or we're going to do this or that. But that ain't it. I'm talking about the fact that we are only going to spend eternity together in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, walking hand in hand, praising and rejoicing the King of Kings and creator of the universe. And we should have an earnestness for one another. Paul spent day in and day out with the Corinthians for 18 months going from house to house teaching. He wanted to be with them. Have you seen that in the body of Christ? Even the little porcupine Christians. He wanted to be with them too. He just didn't pet them as generously. No. Because that is what the growth is. I wanted to remind you that you see this. I wanted to remind you where you were before this incident. Verse 13. For this reason I have, we are kept in comfort. And besides our comfort we rejoice even much more with the joy of Titus. Because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Now, you, I read to you the first six chapters of how this church broke this man's heart. And yet, the church, when Paul, they received the letter from Titus that Paul had written, they were rejoicing. And they comforted Titus. And you just sit there and go, wait a minute. This is the Corinthians. These are like knuckleheads on steroids. He said, no, they changed. And they had seen the change. Titus had seen the change. And he brought that back to that. And he saw that. And that brings us to to that oneness. Why? Because he was comforted by you. That is a church that turned in repentance back to the Apostle Paul to reestablish that relationship. And that brought comfort to the Apostle Paul. And there was a oneness that is in the body of Christ that you all stand going, wow. It's astonishing. And that obedience in verses 14 and 15. Paul said, you know what? I boasted to him about you. Paul says, I know how you guys are going to change. I know how you're going to respond to truth. It'll be all right. Paul stuck his neck out thinking that the Corinthians were going to change. And he says, and I wasn't put to shame. You did exactly as I thought God would do in your life. But we spoke all things to you in truth. So also our boasting before Titus to prove to be truth. And what happened? It caused Titus' affections to abound for that group, for that church. Now think about it. Titus has been hanging out with Paul. And he's seen the heartache that this church had put on Paul. 
And we start playing favorites, don't we? Those people hurt my buddy. Now you want me to take a letter to him? How about I take a stick? Right? You hurt my friend. And now he's, Paul says, no. The grace of God is going before you. The power of God will turn their hearts back. And Titus is like, are we talking about the same Corinthians? All right, Paul, I'll take the letter. Their response caused Titus's love to increase for the Corinthians. Well, yeah. Sure. Why not? Look at it. They were tickled to death. They had a longing for the Apostle Paul. They had a mourning for what they had done. And they had a zeal back for Paul. And Titus saw it. Titus saw it. That's the obedience. Which brings me to the conclusion of chapter 7. I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. When you have confronted the sinful situation and you see the true repentance, you see that this is the completeness of comfort and sorrow. Of the restoration of a broken relationship. Caused Paul to rejoice. He had no concerns. I am confident. I trust you. This is always the last step. It closes the door on the restoration of the relationship. See, whatever the broken relationship, okay, whichever is the broken relationship, it can be a spiritual one, it can be a temporal one. When repentance happens, true repentance, and I showed it to you, when true repentance happens, trust is there. I have confidence in you. I rejoice in everything. It's, it's, it's like your child. When you discipline your child and, you know, they, they cry and get mad and they run off and, and I hate you. And then they come back a few days and I'm sorry. And then a few days later, you find out whether the sorrow is real or not. Okay. And then you trust that child again. It is trust. Paul says, I rejoice in everything. Why? Because I have confidence in it. This is the spiritual father to the spiritual children. It is every relationship has this potential to have it broken. And when you break it, then the trust is gone. If there's not repentance, the trust will never be restored. It's impossible. Even like in a pastor's relationship to those who are destroying the reputation of a church. When that person repents, then there has to be trust put back into that relationship. I trust you again, Paul says. The word confidence there, it literally means to be courageous. That's what the Greek word means. To be bold. To be daring. Paul says, I am daring in you. I dare to trust you. I'll battle with you and I know you will battle with me. Because I've seen the change. I've got the report. Courage to put one's life back into their hands, even after they've hurt you. 
That's awesome. That is totally awesome. And I look at the Corinthians and I says, Paul, did you see what happened? These people are morons. But Paul says, I confronted them. And guess what? They repented. They had a godly sorrow that brought repentance. The worst situation that you could ever dream of as a Christian to be involved in. And it becomes the best. The change. That's the power of God in restoration. Think about what your salvation is. Your salvation is to restore the broken relationship between you and your creator. And it's funny because you and I will have broken relationships and we will tell everybody, there's no possible way that I could ever trust them again. Right? And God says, why would I trust you? Are you a follower of me or what? And you go, oh, lights on. Sorry. You better do that. (laughs) That's amazing to me. Here in Corinthians, you know what? There's still going to be a few. But the majority of the Corinthian church had come back to the Apostle Paul. The majority of this Corinthian church had turned around to come back to the relationship that they had with the Apostle. Why? The messenger of God. This is a picture of what real restoration is. What is it? It concludes with, I rejoice in that everything. Did you see that part? Because I've run into this before. Well, I trust them up to this point. No, 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 no. It's not what Paul says. I rejoice that in everything. I have confidence in you. You know what he's saying? This relationship is exactly where it was before it was broken. And it isn't one of these. I'm just going to keep an eye on you. But don't forget, I trust you. I'm just going to keep you at arm's length. That's not what Paul said. That's a picture of restoration. Okay. This letter, if you look at it in a whole, I've been reading it every day for way too long. There's a section that we just finished up. Chapters 1 through 7. And it concludes with this very thing. The restoration of a broken relationship in the midst of much affliction, heartache, and suffering, and sorrow. Okay? In light of that, what does he begin chapter 8 with? Now, brethren. Now, brethren. And 8 and 9 stand together. And then 10 through 13 stand together. Okay? And you guys are going to be thrilled out of your gourds with chapters 8 and 9. Single greatest chapters and and topics that Christians love to hear preached more than any single topic in all of Scripture. The topic of giving. We all love that. And if all of you who know me say, he's not the quickest preacher in the world, and how many years are we going to be in chapters 8 and (laughs) 9? Well, I'll give you a heads up. The introduction is six weeks. Okay? It will be six weeks before I step into verse one. Just in case you was wondering. Okay, so you can plan your vacations accordingly. 
But I guarantee you, if it takes me six weeks to do the introductions, you will not outlast me for chapters eight and nine. (laughs) I mean, unless you just move. But it's clear that all of this, we apply this to our lives, especially what we just dealt with in chapter 7, 5 through 16, then you will start understanding what the fullness of relationships are. There are too many in the body of Christ now who have a very shallow relationship with other Christians. And I'm still not sure why we do that, other than the fact that uh, you're afraid somebody's going to confront you. Perhaps you need confronting. Because if you're out of kelter with what the king is doing, are you an effective minister? Perhaps you need somebody to step on your toes. Perhaps. Brothers and sisters, we have finished chapter 7, 2 Corinthians. Let's pray. Father, to your glory and praise, thank you. Father, uh, I beg your forgiveness. All the years that I have kind of scorned the Corinthians, yet I see this text, Father, and you showed it to me of the restoration of that relationship with the Apostle Paul. I stand in awe. I stand in awe. Father, if there be any in this congregation, this group today, who have problems in relationships, Father, may they bow before the authority of your scripture and surrender to the power of your Holy Spirit with an eager heart for the overwhelming love of Jesus Christ to be affected ministers in these very trying times. Father, help us. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of this great calling. Help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And Father, help us to be able to rejoice in everything and have confidence in our brothers and sisters in every circumstance. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for the time you've given me in this book. Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters will be truly encouraged and will rejoice with abundance as Paul did when he heard and received Titus. To your glory and praise. Amen.